All right, welcome back, and it's good to see everybody here. It is uh, it's good to have Madison here with us, all the way from the pits of North Carolina, the armpit. No, that's Fayetteville, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's good to have her back up here. That's what, twice in two weeks we get to see you. Three, we are blessed. Yeah, it's good to have her back up here with us. And uh, if y'all don't know, she is engaged. She is going to be getting married September of next year. What was it? I can't remember the date. 15th. Yep. So, yep, getting ready to send off another one. Y'all got to quit doing this. Makes me feel old. If you got your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at a very, uh, it's a a normal story, one that we always look at, uh, and it's about the woman with the issue of blood, but there's... There's more to this story than we typically pick apart, and we're going to look at briefly this morning about how we are to press on with our faith, to press on with our faith, because there's, there's two parts to this story. We're going to look at Jairus at first and how he pressed through the crowd to get to Jesus, and then we'll look at the woman with the issue of blood and how she did the same thing. She had an issue. Jairus had an issue. Jairus' daughter had an issue, but both of them had to push forward to get to Jesus, they had to push through the crowd to get to Jesus. Now, just like anything that we, we read in the Bible that, it, that involves Jesus, especially in the Gospels, a lot of times you have to go through all the Gospels to get the meat of the story. So sometimes you might read something in Mark, and it's going to look a little bit different in John, or sometimes you look over in Matthew, and it's going to look a, bit, a little bit different than it does over in Luke. And so this story that we're going to be reading here uh, is in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and we talk about this often. Matthew is a Jew, and Matthew writes to a Jewish uh, group. And so his spin is a little bit different. Luke is a doctor. He's educated. So he's going to write a little bit differently towards, uh, or write a little bit differently about any of the situations or circumstances that Jesus is in. He writes about it differently. John is my favorite. John writes a little bit differently because John is like an onion farmer. He likes to layer all of his stuff. So you can read it one way and then turn around a week later and read it another way, and you're going to have to unpeel what John writes. So all the writers of the Gospels write differently, but they write inspired by God. Everything that's in the Bible is inspired by God. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I wish y'all could have seen that. She stuck her nose right down in his diaper. (laughs) <laughs> and evidently it's not dirty <laughs> she didn't pass out but I want you to think about the way they write and I'm only going to read out of Matthew this morning but at some point I want you to try to read Matthew, Mark and Luke's take on the woman with the issue of blood and just see the different spins that they put on it same meaning same inspiration but it's just tailored a little bit differently to different groups And if you will, go ahead and stand with me. We're going to go ahead and start reading. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. Two verses, three verses, that we're going to read. And it's going to sum it up. Matthew 9, 20. And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, if I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. Verse 22 says, But Jesus turned about or turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. 
Thy faith hath made thee whole, and the woman was made whole from that hour. From that hour. Jerry, would you open us up in prayer? Thank you. So there, there's this story is packed with three or four different things to look at. But one thing I didn't read this, and I didn't read it on purpose because I want to sum it up for you here in just a second. But it's Jarius up above what we just read. It's, it's Jarius, and he's coming to Jesus now. Jesus was returning from the other side of Galilee only to to, to find himself typically as greeted by the multitude. Jesus's popularity was starting to increase, and so people had heard about his ministry. They had heard about his healing, and so they wanted to be a part of it, and they wanted to see what was going on. They wanted to be a part of, some wanted to be a part of the ministry, and some were just nosy, all right? Now, just be honest with you. Some wanted to see this miracle worker doing his thing, but some were just nosy, and probably trying to get a little bit of dirt on him. They'd already heard about this ministry, and they wanted to see for themselves if this was true. Can this man heal the blind? Can this man make the dumb speak? Can this man raise someone from the dead? Can this man do what we have heard that he can do? And so they're there as a multitude, as the big crowd is there, and they want to see that for themselves. They want to experience what they have heard about. Have you ever noticed that when, whenever or wherever Jesus is working, there's a multitude of people? You ever notice that? Wherever Jesus is, there is a group of people. They want to see, they want to experience what's going on there. They wanted, if possible, to be a part of that ministry. So just then, off in the distance, we notice a man making his way through the crowd. But there's something different about this man. What we need to understand about Jairus, number one, he's an important person in the synagogue. Jesus knew him. Jesus knew Jairus. He knew the status of this man in the synagogue. He knew that he was a, a good man. But there was something about Jairus that was a little bit different than the others. When you see this crowd coming to Jesus, when you see the multitude gathered around Jesus, they were all shouting and hollering and they were praising and they were happy-go-lucky. There was good things taking place around Jesus. But from a distance, if you see Jairus coming, Jairus wasn't happy. Jairus was weeping. Jairus was sad. Jairus had a ways to go, though. Jairus had to get from the back of the crowd to the front of the crowd because his daughter was sick. His daughter needed a touch from Jesus. Jairus knew Jesus, knew what he could do, and so he was willing to do whatever it took to get to Jesus. He was going to fight the mob, the crowd. They were going to, he was going to do whatever he had to to get through the crowd, from the back of the crowd to the front of the crowd, to meet and see Jesus, and he began to weep uncontrollably. Have you ever had that moment in your life when you met Jesus and you just fell apart? 
when everything in your life was just coming unglued and you could not handle anything else that's going on and you finally found yourself coming to Jesus and you come un, just, just weeping uncontrollably. That's Jairus. He finally got where, where he needed to be and that was in the presence of Jesus and he lost it. That's a breaking point. You ever come to your breaking point? You ever got to the point in your life where you can't handle it anymore and you finally call upon the name of the Lord and then you lose it? You weep uncontrollably. That's Jairus. That's, that's that Jairus moment that you're having right there because you finally realize that I can't heal my daughter. I can't save my family. I can't do anything on my own. I have to go to Jesus to get this fixed. And so Jairus has come to that point in his life and he said, I need Jesus and he found him and he found him Jesus told Jairus that he would come to his house he said I will go see your daughter I will see what I can do now there's a difference here if you think about Lazarus and you had Lazarus uh, sisters remember they were kind of upset because Jesus didn't come right then what he do he waited four days because in Jewish tradition after the third day they were presumed dead and so Jesus was making a point. I can raise the dead. If it had been less, three days or less, they could have, he, Lazarus could have been unconscious and then perked up on his own. But they knew on the fourth day that he truly was dead. He was stinking, they said. He had a smell to him. So this is totally different from Lazarus because Jesus turns and goes with Jairus immediately to Jairus' house to see his daughter to perform another miracle. All right, and so with this, it wasn't just Jesus and Jairus going. What we need to remember about what's going on in the in this story right here is the fact that Jesus, Jairus, the disciples, and the multitude were all heading to Jairus' house. I hope he had a lot of tater chips because there's about to be a big old crowd come in there and raid this house. The multitude, everybody. Do you know why? Because they were excited. We just heard Jesus say, I'll go heal your daughter. They're all going so that they can see this happen. See what's getting ready to take place. Jesus performed a miracle. Not just performing the miracle on Jairus' daughter, but to take away this sorrow that has fallen upon Jairus, the dad. Ain't nothing worse than being a parent and having a sick kid. I remember when, when Abby was born, she, was she a year old when we had to take her to the hospital? She's about a year old. Is right? Yeah. Yeah, right when we got the house. I had pneumonia. I was sick. I was the sickest I think I've ever been. But nothing hurt me any worse than to see Abby laying in a hospital bed with the IV. That killed me. Cannot take that. Your kids are not supposed to be sick. We're not supposed to have to deal with that stuff. Kids are supposed to be healthy. And so as a parent, it hits you a different way. So Jairus was, he might have been a, a ruler in the synagogue. He might have been high up on the totem pole. But at this time, that meant nothing. Right now, Jairus is a dad. And his daughter's well-being is the most important thing to him. His heart is broken. His daughter is sick. She needs a touch. Nobody else can do anything about it. But he knows somebody that can. He knows a man. He knows Jesus. And he knows what Jesus can do. And so he calls upon the name of the Lord. He goes to Jesus. 
He speaks to Jesus. He, I don't even know that he has to beg Jesus. He just has to speak as a father. You know, your, your tone changes. There's different tones as a parent. I can speak to the girls. I'm getting there with Clayton. But if I raise my voice or have a certain tone, they know I mean business. And as a parent, when your heart is broken and when you are in desperate need of a touch, whether it be from a doctor, from Jesus, from the teachers, whatever it might be, your tone changes when it comes to your kids. Can you imagine the tone that Jarius had when he came to Jesus and said, my daughter needs you, I need you. It was a father's tone. He meant business. He said, I need you, and I need you now. While traveling, Jesus said, I'll go. I'm coming with you. Let's go. Just pack your stuff. Hack up your sandals and your, your gown. Let's, let's head on to your house. And so they're gone. They're taking off. And while they're traveling, and as the, the people pressed against Jesus trying to get closer, there was a woman from a far-off distance. So this woman, she began to move through the crowd, just like Jairus. And this is where we're going to get into the message this morning. This woman. Just like Jairus, she had a need. Jairus had a need for someone else. This woman had a need for herself. She wasn't selfish. The Bible tells us that she's tried to find help. She'd been bleeding for 12 years, had to issue a blood for 12 years. She was small, she was frail, she was weak. Wouldn't you be if you've been bleeding for 12 years? You get little, anemic, that's what it's called. And she had some issues, and she needed help. She had seen all the doctors, and she'd probably tried all the home remedies, everything that was available. She tried them, but nothing worked. She needed help. The Bible tells us that she had spent all her living trying to find a cure for this disease. She had nowhere else to go. So what did she do? The same thing Jairus did. She had, Jairus had nowhere else to go except to Jesus. This woman had nowhere else to go but Jesus. And so she did that. This woman had determined if she could just reach out and touch the hem of the garment that she would be cured. That's all she, she knew. It was a faith. It was by faith. If I can just reach out, I don't have to shake his hand. I don't have to kiss his cheek. I don't have to hug him. I don't have to wash his feet. I don't have to tighten the straps on his sandals. I don't have to anoint him. If I can just get a piece of just a thread of that garment, I'll be healed. She knew this. She had faith in Jesus Christ. And then it happened. Her hand reached out. Her fingers touched the fabric. And it happened. Immediately, the Bible tells us she felt the fountain of blood within her dry up, and she was healed. Now, I'm going to get a little nerdy with you real fast, and I'm going to get on into the, the points. But there, there's something that I want you all to understand about this story. Because if you read it, it talks about the garment. So what do we think of whenever we talk about the garment that she touches? There's a gorgeous picture um, in Magdala over in Israel. Uh, it, this, this, uh, this area of Magdala is where Mary Magdalene is from. And it was just discovered back, I think, around 2005, 2006. So it's brand new uh, archaeology uh, that's been, they've been digging on it now since around 2006. The Catholics got a hold of it first, so... They got deep pockets, let them dig. So what you see in the basement of the church of Magdala 
It's probably one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen in my life. And it is a, it's huge. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's like, I don't know, maybe 20 foot long. It's a big old picture. And it's nothing more than a few feet on the ground. And you see a hand and a glow around this hand. And that hand is reaching out and touching a garment. So we think when we read this about the garment that she has reached out and has touched his robe. But it's actually a shawl that he has touched. So some of y'all ladies probably remember putting your shawl on whenever you went to church. Had to wear your shawl. That's, it's a different type of shawl. So I brought a shawl with me for you guys to see. And this is an actual Jewish shawl. Except for the, they branded it. They put the Star of David on it and the, the candlestick. But what they would do with this shawl no, it is not glitter for you guys that see shiny things. It is not glitter. You're getting glittered for God this morning. But the, he would wear, so because Jesus was Jewish, and he had this, this shawl on, and the shawl would go over his head. And it was a little bit longer than this. And he'd put this shawl on his head like this. This is what she touched, was the corner of this shawl. Now, I can't say this right, and I had to write it down, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pronounce this properly for you guys because I can never get this. The prayer shawl, the corners were called uh, tzitz, tzitz. And I'm, I'll just talk about this here in a second. And this come over from, I'm going to get real nerdy with you, uh, Numbers 15, verse 37 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and bid them that they make them fringes, in the borders of their garments throughout their generations, and that they put upon the fringe of the borders a ribbon of blue, and it shall be unto you for a fringe, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and do them, and that, they, and that ye seek not after your heart and your own eyes, after which ye use to go a-whoring that ye may remember and do all my commandments, and be holy unto your God, and I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. So they had this prayer shawl that they wore. And this is what Jesus had on him, around his head. So that lady, when she reached out, she touched the hem. She probably touched the corner. And if you notice, these corners, they're, they're all a little bit different. They all have different scripture on them. These corners are important in Jewish tradition. You have the tassels here, the little tassels, but the big ones are the, the ones that we need to remember. This is what Moses wrote about. This is what God was talking about, having the tassels on your garment. It's these tassels. If you've ever seen a Jew, if you've ever noticed a Jew that walks around, they usually have four tassels hanging off their hips. So they have like a T-shirt. It's almost like a wife beater. It's got the tassels hanging off of it that it has to always be exposed so that when they look around, they see those tassels and they're reminded right here, what I just read. Um, it says, so, and it shall be unto you for a fringe that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord and do them. So when they looked down, when the Jews looked down, they could see the tassels and they would remember what God had done for them, how he had delivered them out of Egypt and all that he was going to do for them. Jesus Christ wore the same thing. And so when this woman reached out to touch him, more than likely it was that prayer shawl that he was wearing. 
She may have touched the fringe. She may have touched the corner. But she touched one of the most important things that a Jewish rabbi would wear, a Jew in general would wear. She touched a prayer shawl. You don't touch that prayer shawl. It's kind of like Barney. Remember Barney on Andy Griffith whenever uh, somebody would wear his hat? Remember what he said? Don't wear my hat, Angie. You remember that? That's my favorite. He's talking about his helmet. Don't wear my hat, Angie. Don't touch my prayer shawl. You don't touch that thing. That is yours. That is personal. You don't mess with it. But she reached out, and she touched the corner of that thing. Do you know that Jesus felt the power leave his body? He knew something had happened. He didn't feel her touch the fringe. She didn't, he didn't feel her touch the robe. She didn't feel him or her touch the garment. He felt the power leave his body. That's how he knew what happened, because she came to him in faith. In faith. Now, don't you think about what's going on in that multitude. Morris, come up here just a second. We're going to lay hands on Morris. So turn around there and look at him. So if, if Morris was Jesus, this is kind of what he was going to be feeling. He was going to feel people bump, yeah, exactly, bumping into him like this right here the whole time as they're going around. But can, hang on. Can you, don't leave me. <laughs> Stay right there. Stay right there. Can you feel this? You can't feel that, can you? I'm touching the hem of his shirt. He can't feel that. Now sit down. Get out here. Can you feel that? All he, all Jesus could feel was people bumping into him, knocking him around, pushing him around, getting him. They want to see him go to Jairus' house. They're rushing him. They're pushing him to get him so that they can see a miracle. That's all they want. They want to see this miracle. But Jesus felt the power leave his body because someone touched him in faith. That's faith healing. She went to him in faith knowing that he could heal her. He was going to take away this issue of blood. He is the Messiah. He is the great physician. He is the only one that can fix my problem. Jairus in the same boat. Now, Jairus went to him and, and wept, and Jesus felt that as a, as a parent. He felt that emotion. But then when she touched the hem of his garment, he felt that power go. And it tells us, the Bible tells us that, flip back over here, back in the New Testament. And the woman was made whole from that hour. It was instantaneous, right then. Touch, boom, healed. It was that quick. Because she had faith. That's what it takes, faith. When we pray, do we, is it just words? No, we need to be praying in faith that God hears us. God hears our pleas. God feels our burdens. We have to go in faith to the throne of God. In faith, we go to him. And it's by faith, through faith, that we are saved. It is faith. Jesus stopped right where he was at. I love this right here. He stopped. Stopped right then. Here they are. Here he is being pushed to Jairus' house, and he stops dead in his tracks. And he said, who touched me? Now you got old smart-aleck Peter over here. He's like, what are you talking about? There's tons of people around here. It could have been anybody. How do you know 
what just happened? He knew. He knew what happened. Could he not tell that the crowd had pressed up against him since they had been off the boat? That's what Peter's thinking. Could you not tell that since you stepped foot off this boat, people have been wallowing you to death? Jesus said, I know somebody has touched me. He knew who it was. He knew exactly who it was. He waited. And that woman spoke up, said, it is I. It's me. I'm the one. And some of the most beautiful words in the Bible spoke right here. Daughter, be of good comfort. Ain't that nice? Be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. That's some of the most beautiful words that Jesus ever spoke right there. Be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Calm down, little lady. You're in good shape. It's all right. You're okay now. She came to him in faith just through that touch. Now, there's a few things that I believe we can learn from this today. There are several things that we can learn from this today. First thing I want you to remember, we all have needs. There ain't a one of us sitting in this congregation right now that doesn't have at least one need. We've all got a need. I don't know what it is, but you got one. Jarius and the woman both had needs, just like each one of us. The one had a need to see Jesus for someone else, and the other had a need for Jesus to see her for her situation. The importance is that they realized their need, and they acted on it. You have a need, have you acted on it? You have a need, what have you done about it? Have you tried to handle it on your own? Probably. Unfortunately, the day and time that we're living in right now, that's what we do. We're, we're busy people, ain't we? We've got a lot going on. We've got a lot going on in our lives. Me and Maria had a little date last night. We went and watched the Appalachian Road Show, had a good time. Went and had ice cream afterwards, went to Blue Deer and had a little date afterwards. And I didn't realize it until I got home. I was laying in bed how much I spilled my guts last night about things I got going on. Got to go to Texas, got to go to California, got to go to Florida, be going to Scotland next month. I got a lot going on. And until I start rambling that stuff off, I don't realize how busy I am. But we're all in the same boat. You might not be traveling, but you're, we're all in the same boat. We're busy running around and our needs are overlooked our needs are overlooked we we overlook our own needs because we are such busy people we don't we don't take time to go to god and ask him to meet our needs so our needs that we have that we all have what happens they go unmet there are people today who struggle they're struggling they might be struggling financially they might be struggling uh, spiritually or physically we see, we see people who are in need of a Savior and in need of forgiveness, but unless someone is praying for them, unless they are telling their needs to the Father, there's a chance that these, this person or our own needs are going to go unmet because we've done nothing about it. We've got to be more like Jarius and more like the woman with the issue of blood. We've got to do something about our needs. If we're going to have our needs met, we're going to have to have the Savior meet our needs. We're going to have to go to the Savior in faith to meet whatever our situation is. 
Second thing, we have to humble ourselves. After we realize we have needs, we have to realize that these needs can't be met um, within our own power. And that's, that's the hard part for us to do because a lot of us like to do things on our own. I've got this. I can handle it. I'm a big boy. I can do this. Put on my big girl britches. I'll take care of this. That's, that's what we think. I can do it on my own. I do it. I don't remember which one. Of the, was it one of the girls kept saying that? I do it. I do it. I do it. That's kind of the attitude we have. I do it. I'll do it on my own. I'll handle this. God, you're busy. There's people dying with cancer. There's people needing money. There's people, there's churches needing pastors. You need to deal with them. You need to work with them. Lord, I'll get this on my own. It'll be okay. No, it won't. Most of the time, the needs that, that you have in your life are just too big for you to handle. Yep. But there's no big ones for God. We need to remember that. We might think it's too big. We might think it's too little. We might think that, ah, oh, this is just a little old something God don't need to deal with. He's got bigger fish to fry. No, he'll take it on for you. There's come a time when we take our eyes off of man and become dependent on God. There has to be that time. There has to be a time in your life when you realize everything I've touched I've broke. I don't hear a word out of you. <laughs> that seems like my Thursday. Everything I touched Thursday broke. I had to call a plumber twice Thursday because <laughs> every time I touched a pipe, it broke. <laughs> but there comes a time in your life when you realize everything that I try to do on my own, I mess it up. Everything that I try to touch and handle by myself, I mess up. I can't do this. There has to come a time when you become dependent on God and not on yourself, not on man. Man can't help you. God can help you. There has to be a time when we turn our needs over to him and let go and let God. We have to let go of our problems and let God deal with it. Now, you can go to any AA meeting or counseling, rehab, therapy session that you want to, whatever 12-step problem you got going on in your life. You can go to it if you want to. But what happened to the God that we read about in the Bible? What happened to the Prince of Peace and the Great Physician and, and the Wonderful Counselor that we read about in the, in the beginning of the Gospels? What happened to him? When did we put him on the back burner and just say, we don't need a, a Wonderful Counselor anymore. We don't need this Great Physician anymore. We don't need this Prince of Peace anymore. We'll just deal with it ourselves or I'll pay somebody to deal with it for me. When did we stoop that low in our faith? When did we get that low in our, our belief in the power of Jesus Christ? We are too dependent on man right now. We are too dependent, not, not that God can't use man. No, I'll just say that. We got some mighty fine doctors right here in North Carolina. I, I'll say that. And Vanderbilt has got some mighty fine doctors. And Cincinnati, I know firsthand on that one. We got some mighty fine doctors in this, in this world. I worked with some. When I worked at uh, uh, World Medical Mission, I worked with some of the finest doctors I've ever met in my life. Godly men, godly women. Loved them to death. God can use them. God will use them. But we can't put faith in man. We've got to put our faith in God, and then God will provide us with that physician. God will provide us with that person that we need to seek out. 
for help, for treatment. God will use them. He's raised them up. He's trained them. He's ordained them. He's blessed them. He's given them the knowledge. He's given them the power, the understanding. He has given them what they need to heal you. And he will use them as a vessel. I promise you that. He will use them. But when did we forget about all that God is? When did we forget about the power that he has? And why have we started depending on man to fix our problems? Third thing, nothing stopped these three. Not one thing stopped these, these two men. I said three, sorry. Not one thing stopped these two people. Jarius pushed his way through the crowd to get to Jesus. The woman with the issue of blood pushed her way through the crowd to get to Jesus. That picture I was telling you about, if I can find it, I'll put it on our page, but it's one of the most beautiful pictures I've ever seen. But what you need to know about that picture is the fact that this woman is on her hands and knees reaching out to get to Jesus. Ain't that where we usually reach out to Jesus? When we get down on our knees, when we are flat out on our belly, on our chest, we can't go any further. We are drained spiritually, physically, mentally. We are drained. We got nothing left. We can't walk. We can't crawl. All we can do is a little army crawl, shuffle up to Jesus, and reach out for him. There wasn't one thing that stopped them. Big old crowd. Don't know how many people was there. He stepped foot off the boat. They met, the multitude met Jesus. And from that point on, he had a herd of people around him all the way to Jerry's house. Not one thing stopped them. I could just see Jarius weeping his way through the crowd, crying, pushing, wiggling, worming his way through the crowd. They did everything and anything that they had to do to get to Jesus, to get into the present, not just to get to him, but to get into the presence. They could have got to Jesus and been part of the multitude. They could have been on the outskirts of the multitude and still been with Jesus. But they wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to be up front and personal, close, as close as they could get so they could make eye contact with him. They could talk to him, touch that garment. We can't allow anything to stop us this morning. There ain't a thing in this world that should stop you this morning from getting to Jesus. There's nothing. I don't care what the devil throws at you, what stumbling block he throws out there at you. There's no reason, there is not one thing in this world right now that is stopping you from getting to Jesus. If there is, it's one thing, and it would be called pride. And that's something the devil uses. Your family is going to try to tell you you're crazy. You're crazy for going to church or for trusting in Jesus for everything. Your friends are going to, they're going to ridicule, ridicule you. They're going to abandon you because you're one of those Jesus nuts or Jesus freaks as they call them. And, 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 and that, that the church or that Jesus is going to be trying to take you away from them. They're going to abandon you for the stand that you're trying to take for Jesus. And you might even say, this morning that you have never experienced anything quite like this before and you can't go on. Now, there's, there may be somebody here this morning that may be saying, right now, I can't handle what's going on in my life right now. I've never experienced a thing like this right now in my life. I can't handle this anymore. But I want to give you some hope this morning 
that there is a man that can help you. I want to give you some encouragement this morning that there is not one thing that can stand in your way this morning from getting to Jesus. Nothing. And if you need help getting there, I'd be more than glad to help you there. If you need help getting to Jesus this morning, I can think of about 30 or 40 people sitting here this morning that will help you get there. If you need prayer, we'll pray for you. If you need a hand, if you need a shoulder, if you need a hug, we'll get it to you. But there is not one thing in this world stopping you from getting to Jesus. Don't let your friends stop you. Don't let your family stop you. Don't let self stop you. You can get to Jesus. Now listen to me this morning. When you remove yourself from this equation, when you take self out, and you begin to rely on God for everything, you're not going to feel the same. I think we've all experienced that at least once. When we rely on God, things are going to be different. And the reason is, you're no longer in control. When you're in control, things are rocky, things are rough, things are not going to go the best way. But when you rely on Jesus, things are going to feel differently. God is in control, and you're now submitted to His ways, His will, His timing. You're trusting in Him and not man. So things are going to be totally different. Don't let anything stop you from continuing to strive with all your heart from coming into the presence of God. Don't just come to church. Come to get in the presence of God. Come looking for Jesus. Fourth thing, when Jesus moves, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. You're going to know it. She knew it. I can't imagine what that felt like. Now, I, 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 I was thinking about Mary, and I was getting ready for this. I was thinking about Mary. I don't know what it felt like to get a liver. I don't know. It probably took a while for you to that feeling for things to, to work. I can tell you from experience how I have felt. So with my hemochromatosis, whenever I was going to spruce pine to have my blood draws once, or cannon and spruce pine, to get my blood draws once a week, I know how I felt. I know how I felt when they messed up and did it twice in five days. I couldn't feel my feet. <laughs> I lost a lot of blood. But when my iron levels and everything would shoot up and I would go to the doctor and have that blood draw, I felt good. I felt different. I felt normal once I had that taken away. That is nowhere close to what it feels like when you let Jesus take control. I felt good, I felt better, because I, I had, you know, I'd been bled out and I got rid of some iron and stuff. That was great. But when you come into the presence of Jesus and you allow him to take control of your life, the feeling that you get is amazing. It's like salvation. When you were saved, do you remember that burden being lifted? Do you remember that feeling that you had, that moment? That moment that it hits you and you ask Jesus in your life, whether you're sitting in the pew or down at the altar or in the bathroom, it don't matter where he's at. But that moment of salvation, remember that feeling that you got? It's close. We'll never experience that again. But that feeling that you get whenever Jesus takes control of your life, that's a feeling that you can't, it's, it's, it, you can't explain it. It's one of the greatest things in the world. But it's because you know 
that someone else is finally in control and it's not me. It's God. This morning, you need to understand that Jesus wants to meet your needs. He does. He doesn't care what you think is big or what you think is small. Jesus is telling you right now, he's going to meet your needs. He wants to meet your needs. But unfortunately, so does the devil. The devil is out there trying to do some things as well. He's going to throw anything and everything at you to keep you from experiencing God's power. He's going to bring family or friends back into your life to discourage you, to, 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 to try to knock you down. The devil does not want you to experience the power of God. And that's all that I ask. Is it for you to look out for the devil and for you to experience the power of God? When you experience the power of God, you'll be speechless. You'll be overwhelmed by that feeling. Let me share something with you this morning. This is biblical. This is not anything that I come up with. Jesus tells us that when he sets us free, we are free indeed. The devil can't do that for you. When you're tied to the devil, you're tied to bondage. You're tied down, and, and, and you're under his control, under his rule. And he, he's going to use you and manipulate you, and he's going to make you miserable. But the Bible tells us that when we are free in Jesus, we are free indeed. We're free from that bondage. We're, now, are we free from sin? No, we're not. We're still going to sin. But at least we can get forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness for those sins. And ask for forget, forgetfulness so God would forget that. I'm not going to bring that back to mind for us. When he moves in your life, it will be impossible for you to stay the same. It will be impossible for you to be the same. I promise you that one. Let God have control and move you in the direction that he wants you. Fifth thing, last thing, and I'll hush. All right, if you're, writing, if you're writing this down, I want you to put this in bold, highlight it, make it big, because I don't want you to forget this. It all rests on faith. It all rests on faith. What did Jerry's have? Faith in Jesus. What did the woman with the issue of blood have? Faith in Jesus. What did you have at salvation? Faith in Jesus. Say so it takes faith. It's not just going and being in the crowd or in the multitude. It takes faith to press forward through the crowd to get into the presence of God. It took faith. They knew he could heal. That's two right there. Actually, there's three. There's two that we read about right there. They had faith in Jesus they knew he could do a great work. They knew he could do a miracle. Notice that it wasn't her action that healed her. It wasn't her action of crawling through the crowd. It wasn't Jairus' action of, uh, of zigging and zagging and bopping around and worming his way through the crowd. It wasn't that action that saved them, that, that provided that miracle healing. It wasn't the action. It was the faith. It was that faith that did it. Jesus says, thy faith hath made, you, made thee whole. It's your faith that made you whole. You didn't have to touch my garment. You could have just come up here beside Jairus and spoke to me. But it was your faith knowing that 
I could heal you. It was your faith knowing that I am the Messiah. It's your faith knowing that I am the Son of God. It is your faith that has made you whole. It is your faith that has stopped this bleeding. By faith, you can be saved this morning and have hope of eternal life. It is by faith. It's not by me. It is by faith that you can be saved. That is it. That is it. It's not by works, lest any man should boast, the Bible says. It's not by works. You can't work your way into salvation. Salvation is by faith and faith alone. By faith, you can live a life that is pleasing to Him, but it is only by faith. By faith, you can see all your needs and your desires come true, but you have to have faith. If you need healing, you pray in faith. If you need uh, reconciliation with your family, you need to be praying in faith. If you need help, you need to be praying in faith. Don't just do a lip service. Don't just throw out a Hail Mary. When you pray, you pray in faith, knowing who you're praying to and what he can do for you. Knowing that he will do it for you. It is by faith that we do this. I want to do something this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just a moment. Just a moment. And I want you to think about your life for just a moment. What is your need? What is your need? We know what these two had. We knew one had sick child. One had issue of bleeding. They had a need. And they knew a Savior. So this morning, my question to you is this. What is your need? And do you know the Savior? What is your need? And do you personally know the Savior? Do you know Jesus? Now, I'm going to take this a step further. I ain't going to embarrass nobody. I don't think this would embarrass anybody anyway. I told you a while ago that every one of us has a need. Every one of us has a need. Probably multiple needs. Now, are you willing to bring that need to Jesus? Are you willing to step out on faith and take that, that need to Jesus? And I'm going to ask you if you will, bring it to the altar. If you have a need this morning, if you have a burden on your heart, I don't care if it's physical, spiritual. Listen, that woman with the issue of blood, she came for herself. All right, so this morning I'll ask you, if you have a need for yourself, come on. Now, don't you remember Jairus? He had a need for someone else. If you have a need this morning for someone else, I'll ask you to come up here to this altar and bring it to Jesus. We've all got needs. We've all got needs. Bring it to Jesus. Don't sit in your pew and try to handle it yourself. You can't. You've got a need. I promise you, you've got a need. Don't deal with it on your own. Bring it to Jesus. You can come up here as Jarius, or you can come up here as a woman with the issue of blood. But you have a need. And I ask you this morning 
to bring it to Jesus. Father God, this morning I want to come to you on behalf of each person that's here this morning. God, me personally, I've got a need. I've got needs. God, I think every one of us can say in our hearts right now, we have a need. Lord, if it be for somebody in our family. that just needs a touch from you. God, I lay it to you this morning. I lay it out here on this altar for you this morning. God, for those of us that have family members that are lost, God, that's our burden. We're going to leave it here for you. There's one here this morning that's lost, and they have a burden on their heart right now, knowing that they're going to split hell wide open. That the conviction is real in their heart. That they know that they're lost and they're bound for hell. God, I pray this morning that they meet you right here at this altar. God, for those of us that have burdens on our hearts for one another, for our community, for our churches, for our families, for our co-workers, for our classmates. God, if we have that on our hearts this morning, God, I pray that we just leave it here for you. We're bringing it all to you. We're going to press through this crowd this morning, God, and we're going to come here to you. And we're going to leave it with you. We want to be in your presence every single day of our lives. Not just in the crowd, but in your sight. And God, I pray this morning that we can experience that this morning right here at this altar. We can come to you in faith, knowing that you're going to hear our prayers, that you're going to, you're going to deal with them in your own timing, within your will. God, I thank you for the message this morning. I thank you for the scripture that was read this morning. Just three short verses that pack such a punch. And I pray that we can learn something from that. Don't let the devil stand in our way. Don't let the world stand in our way. Lord, I pray that you would continue to draw us to you. Draw us away from man. Draw us away from the world. Draw us to you. God, and that you would use us. Lord, and that we glorify you. Father, I pray this morning again for this church, for the ones that make it up. God, that we, we share burdens, I know. We have different burdens, but we do share many burdens alike. And God, as we pray this morning that you, you hear these burdens. And God, that you'd see fit in your time and your will to take care of them for us. Lord, I thank you so much this morning for your, your grace and mercy. As we always pray, we thank you for your love. Can't thank you enough for that. And I thank you for my salvation. God, I thank you where you saved me from the miry muck. Lord, you drew me out. You've brushed me off. You've held on to me. You've kept me tight. And God, I pray today that each one of us can say the same thing, that we have that relationship with you. And we thank you for that. Lord, I love you this morning. And I thank you so much for what you're doing and what you're going to do. All this in your son's sweet, holy, and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. I appreciate y'all coming up here this morning. If, and we're going to dismiss from up here. And if, if you need talk or if you need anything this morning, and it's so funny I said that because I think Bob said that last week too, but don't ever hesitate to talk to me if you need anything. And I appreciate y'all so much. And I hope you have a great week.